Hello and welcome to Servant's Heart Chapel. I am Pastor Daryl, and I hope today's episode is a special blessing to you. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Romans chapter 10. That's where we'll be uh, preaching from today. This will be the, the last uh, Sunday for a while. We, we uh, cover Romans, be beginning a series uh, this Sunday uh, for Advent. And from there, uh, going into the life of Christ until Easter. And then we'll pick up back at Romans 11 after Easter. There was a... Uh, not long ago, I just saw in the in in uh, article this week, Fox News, uh, a man uh, by the name of uh, David Cox, fifty years old, uh, was executed uh, for a terrible crime that he committed, uh, a murder and a rape, um, just an awful, awful thing. And he was found guilty and, and they executed the first time in years uh, for that state that he was in. What struck me was uh, his last words. He, he, he said that you know, he wanted to tell his kids that he loved them. And then he said, I was once a good man. And he admonishes kids, don't ever read anything but the King James Bible. I think there's a lot behind those two sentences. I was once again a good man and admonishes kids to, to, to read the Bible. I want to know more to his story. We'll ever find out if anybody will ever dig that up and, and interview people and, and find out what happened from the point where I assume he was living for the Lord to the point where he was being executed for a horrendous crime. It's it's the absolute tragedy. God didn't want it that way. The Bible says God wants reconciliation for all, but sad to say, not all agree. Not everybody, not everybody wants reconciliation with God. The terrible reality of the world that we live in. In chapter 9, the emphasis, so both chapter 9 and chapter 10 deal with this reconciliation between us and God. Chapter 9 focused on God's, what God was doing, His side. And chapter 10 focuses on the human factors we're going to see in, in verses 15 to 13. We, we see that there needs to be a, uh, an understanding of the gospel. 
That needs to happen. In order for that to happen, uh, 14 and 15 tell us that there needs to be a proclamation of the gospel. It has to be communicated. And, and then we're going to see in verses 16 through 21 that there also needs to be a response of faith. All those are on us. Chapter 10, really, uh, Paul's talking about, we're going to see that Paul's talking about uh, the people of Israel and their general rejection of Christ as the Messiah, rejection of God, rejection of this, this gift of salvation, rejection of the gospel. And you might say, well, we're not Jewish, so what does it have to do with us? Well, Israel's problem is also everybody else's problem. All people who reject God. So we're going to see that this, this text, this chapter, is, is, is for Jewish and Gentile. It's for the unsaved and it's for the saved. We're going to see we have responsibilities that God has given us in this whole plan of salvation. Verse 1 in chapter 10, Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God concerning them is for their salvation. Now who is them talking about? Well, he was just talking about in previous verses in chapter 9 about the people of Israel rejecting Christ and Christ becoming a stumbling block for them. He's talking about them, his own people. His friends, his family, his teachers that he grew up respecting. Boys that he grew up with and played with in the streets. Family members who doted on him and encouraged him and were so proud of him when he went up through the schools and went up through the ranks and received all this formal education And he's watching them reject Christ. In my heart's desire, my that, that, as you might expect, desire and prayer that Paul says here, that's in the present tense. It's a continuing activity. I'm doing this constantly. The desire for them is their salvation. They will be saved. They'd be rescued. Verse 2, I can testify about them that they have zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. The Amplified Bible refers to that as not enlightened and according to correct and vital knowledge. They're zealous, they're excited, they're passionate about what they believe, but it's incorrect. It's not according to what the Bible says. So here Paul is obliged to say that their, even, that their zeal is not based on knowledge. And that's a problem because Scripture says it's not good to have zeal without knowledge. We see that in Proverbs chapter 19, verse 2. 
We can be sincerely mistaken. We saw an example of that as we, we discussed it this past week in The Great Divorce. And one of the characters was this professor, right? That thought, well, if I just, you know, I, I, it doesn't matter what I believe as long as I'm sincere about it. And that's just not true. Because what he believed, he, the point he got to believing, the way he got to that point is through improper attitudes, thoughts, actions. He did it for selfish desires, for honors, for good grades, right? He did it to sell books and, and to get invited to important events. He did it because it's easy. A lot of people do that. They, they get to where they believe. And I, I just had a guy this past week, I, he messaged our church, and I thought, oh, somebody's interested in our church. But he started writing this long diatribe on how we're doing everything wrong. We need to be spending more money to grow the church. Get more people in the church and also and, and not spend as much money in the community. He also thought we needed to have more I I, I we need I we need to have more exorcisms. We needed to free more people from demonic possession. These are some of the things that, that he, he was telling me what I needed to know. And he was so certain about what he believed. And he's a young guy, by the way. Way off base. How do people get to that point? They get to that point because... At different steps in their life, they make this decision, and it's an easy decision, and it's a selfish decision, and it's a sinful decision. A lot of people I, I've noticed who are into uh, manifestations of the Spirit. Really focused on, well, if you're a real Christian, you're going to heal people and you're going to do this and that. They're, they're people who are really focused on end times. They're experts at it. They're so focused on that and there's nothing wrong with, by the way, nothing wrong with praying to heal somebody. And I've been around demonically possessed people. And I pray that God would release them from it. And there's nothing wrong with reading Revelation. One thing the Bible says, anybody who reads this book is blessed. Reading the book of Revelation and trying to understand and being prepared for that time whenever it may come. Some people in, the, in their beliefs are so focused on that they can't hear anything else, including what God's trying to speak to their own heart about their own attitudes and sinful behavior. They don't hear that at all. This young man who messaged me, he had this laundry list. He's like, I can't find any churches that do all this. 
He's not going to. He set up this impossible standard that's not biblical. And so he's never going to find a church. As long as he has that, holds that as a standard. But he's zealous. And so were they in Paul's time, these people. It says that they zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. Verse, verse 3. Because they disregard the righteousness from God and attempted to establish their own righteousness, they have not submitted themselves to God's righteousness. I like the word because, because it, it means we're going to get an answer of some kind. So if there's because is there, what's the question? The question is, how can someone have a, a zeal for God but be so wrong? Because they disregard the righteousness from God and attempt to establish their own righteousness. A man by the name of Steve Cole once wrote that religious people often miss salvation because they do not know about God's perfect righteousness and so they seek to establish their own righteousness. And we've seen that people are trying to do it through good works, uh, different forms of spiritualism. Uh, right now we're seeing you know, advocates of social justice. That has become their righteousness. Verse 4, for Christ is the end of the law for righteous to everyone who believes. Now that word end, also we translate it as goal. Christ is the, the, the goal of the law, the end of it, the, the finish line, the, the goal post. Outside Madrid stands an ancient monastery where the kings of Spain have been buried. The architect designed an elongated arch so flat that the reigning monarch insisted it could not hold the structure above it. And against the architect's protest, the king ordered that a column be placed underneath the arch as a safety precaution. After the king and the architect did so, even though he wasn't happy about it. But after the king died, the architect revealed that he had deliberately made the column a quarter of an inch too short. And the arch never sagged. Nothing need be or can be added to the finished work of Christ. Our, our Savior's cry from the cross, it is finished. Literally translated as ended, completed, or accomplished. This one word tells of the greatest miracle our Lord performed, the work of redeeming a lost world. And because the redemption is perfectly finished, it's impossible for us to, to even add one microscopic work of our own that was not already done on the cross. So we can rest our hope on that word, finished. We're not saved by 
anything we do but by well by what Christ has done. Verse 5. For Moses writes about the righteousness that is from the law, the one who does these things will live by them. And Paul's quoting from Leviticus 8:15, 1815. I'm 18:5. Wow. A little dyslexic there. Verse 6, but the righteousness that comes from faith speaks like this. Do not say in your heart who will go up to heaven, that is bring Christ down, or who will go up into the abyss, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. See, this ascending into heaven or descending into the grave are our acts men think of doing. Something I can do. And Paul is saying, you don't need to work or perform any acts to obtain the righteousness of Christ. It's as simple as receive and believe. And we're going to get into that in more detail shortly. The language Paul uses here is taken from Deuteronomy chapter 30, 11 through 14, for those who care, where it talks about who shall bring Christ down from heaven, who shall bring Christ up from among the dead ones. Man can do neither. But thank the Lord, he came to us. I can't go to heaven and go to God and and see God for salvation. God came to me. Emmanuel, we we, we sing that in our, our Christmas songs. God with us, that's our Advent, God with us. So Paul says, don't say in your heart who will ascend into heaven or who will ascend and descend, descend into the deep. To ask such questions would be as absurd as there are unnecessary. There's no need whatsoever for us to scale the heights or plumb the depths in search of Christ for he's already come, died, and risen and so is accessible to us. Verse 8. On the contrary, what does it say? This message is near you, in your mouth, and into your heart. It's right here. This is the message of faith that we proclaim. Verse 9. If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That phrase, Jesus is Lord, the word Lord is kurios. He's Lord and Master. And it's here, it's applied to Jesus. The implications of this are, are staggering. Primarily it means that Jesus' authority is absolute, unlimited, and universal. Those who come to Christ by faith are acknowledging they have placed themselves entirely and without reserve under his authority to carry out without hesitation whatever he may choose for them to do. 
There is no such thing as salvation apart from lordship. And a lot of people want to be saved, but don't want Jesus to be Lord of their life. What do we mean by Jesus being Lord of your life? Is Jesus Lord of my life? When Jesus is Lord of our life, we ask ourselves, is, is Jesus pleased with what I do, what I say or think, or where I go, what I watch? When I was first saved, I surrendered to Jesus. I endeavored to live a life pleasing to Him because from that point, Jesus has been king of my heart. I'm not in control. I'm not in control of my life. It's not a, a relationship where, as if God is a pagan God and I do a few things to keep Him happy and then I live my own life that way. Jesus needs to be Lord of our lives. And although our level of obedience may falter from time to time, that does not imply that we can view our responsibilities as if they don't, don't matter. Those who say they intend to have a good time on earth and then just take a back seat in heaven do not realize that there are no back seats for those who approach this, approach salvation with this attitude. Turning momentarily to Titus. I can get to it. Titus chapter 1, verses 15 and 16 says, To the pure, everything is pure, but to those who are defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. In fact, both their mind and conscience are defiled. They profess to know God, but they deny Him by their works. They are detestable, disobedient, disqualified for any good work. They profess to know God, but their life doesn't show it. They will say one thing and they do another. They say with their behavior and lifestyle that they do not know Jesus or in any way related to him. There's a tombstone in Germany with these words inscribed on it. Thus speaketh Christ our Lord to us. You call me master and obey me not. You call me light and see me not. You call me the way and walk me not. You call me wise and follow me not. You call me fair and love me not. You call me rich and ask me not. You call me eternal and seek me not. You call me gracious and trust me not. You call me noble and serve me not. You call me mighty and honor me not. You call me just and fear me not. 
If I condemn you, blame me not. If you confess with your mouth Jesus is the Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. One believes with the heart, resulting in righteousness, and confesses with the mouth, resulting in salvation. Thus, heart and mouth, inward belief and outward confession belong essentially together. Confession without faith is vain. Likewise, faith without confession would be shown to be illegitimate. This, this parallelism that we see here in these, in, the, in, the, in these verses is reminiscent of the Hebrew poetry we see in the Old Testament. Where their Hebrew poetry, they, they, if you recall, they, they parallel ideas, concepts. See that a lot in, 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 in Psalms. And here we see it too. We don't need to do anything. Disbelieve and live like we believe. Everything necessary has already been done. And we see that verses 11 through 13 build on this. Let's read that. Now the scripture says, Everyone who believes on him will not be put to shame. Verse 12, for there is no distinction between Jew and Greek since the same Lord of all is rich to all who call on him. Verse 13, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. These verses stress that Christ is not only accessible but equally accessible to all as we see in verse 11. And to everyone in verse 13. Why? Because there's no difference, as we see in verse 12, no favoritism. I was studying this morning, this uh, passage this morning, kind of finalizing uh, my notes for today's sermon, and I realized that Romans 10, verses 9 through 13, are one of my favorite scripture passages in the Bible. This wonderful truth. If you, confess with the, if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And one believes with the heart, resulting in righteousness, and one confesses with the mouth, resulting in salvation. Everyone who believes on him will not be put to shame. There's no distinction. For everyone who calls in the name of the Lord will be saved. Praise the Lord. Verse 14. But how can they call on him? This is our responsibility, by the way. How can they call on him if they have not believed him? How can they believe without hearing about him? And how can they hear without a preacher? Here's three questions. 
How can they call on him if they have not believed in? How can they believe without hearing? How can they hear without a preacher? They can't. If you were in the midst of a disaster, would you think to witness to people around you? A man by the name of John Harper did. Harper was a Scottish minister who was traveling by ship to preach for three months at Moody Church in Chicago. As a ship crossed the Atlantic, it struck an iceberg and began to sink. Some passengers were able to reach lifeboats, but many, Harper included, were flung into the cold Atlantic. As the people frantically tried to stay afloat, Harper swam around asking individuals if they knew Jesus. At one point, Harper approached a passenger floating on a piece of debris and pleaded with him to trust Christ. Just before Harper slipped under the icy waters for the last time, he said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Four years later, at a meeting of survivors of that ship, the Titanic, the man testified that he had been saved twice that night. First, he trusted Jesus because of Harper's witness. And second, he had been plucked from the frigid sea. Harper's dying wish was that he could bring hope to hopeless people is that our living wish? Even now, this day, as we sit here, in crisis or in e at ease, do we let people know about the one who can save for eternity? Harper's final witness reminds us to tell the good news to people who are drowning in their sins. You may or may not know a man by the name of Penn Gillette. He is one half of the magician duo known as Penn and Teller. Penn Gillette is an avid atheist. But he says something a while back that really struck me. See, he was signing autographs after a show last fall, and he noticed a man standing over to the side of the crowd. He could see this man had participated in one of their, uh, their, their tricks. He, the man had the props in his hand from, from this trick. He had the joke book and the envelope and paper and stuff. And This man walked over to, to, to Penn, and he complimented him on the show and handed him a Gideon's New Testament. Penn said, or no, I'm sorry, the, 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 man, the man said, I wrote in the front of it and I wanted you to have this. I'm kind of proselytizing. I'm a businessman. I'm sane. I'm not crazy. And this man looked Penn right in the eyes. <clears throat> Penn said, it was really wonderful. I believe he knew I was a, an atheist, but he was not defensive and he looked me right in the eyes. And he was truly complimentary. It didn't seem empty, like empty flattery. 
He was really kind and nice and sane and looked him in the eyes and talked to me and gave me this Bible. And then Penn said something interesting. He said he didn't respect people who don't proselytize. He said, if you believe that there's a heaven and hell and people could be going to hell or not getting eternal life or whatever, and you think it's not really worth telling them this because it would make it socially awkward, or an atheist who think people shouldn't proselytize, just leave me alone, keep your religion to yourself. How much do you have to hate somebody to not proselytize, he said. How much do you have to hate somebody to believe that everlasting life is possible and not tell them that? He said, if I believe beyond a shadow of a doubt that a truck was coming at you and you didn't believe it, and that truck was bearing down on you, there's a certain point where I tackle you. And this is more important than that. This atheist wonders why so many people who call themselves Christians supposedly believe in heaven and hell and don't seem to care enough to tell others about it. Verse 15. And how can they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who announce the gospel of good things. You know, you don't have to be called to preach to be a preacher. A preacher, according to the Bible, is anyone who shares the gospel of Christ, who lives the life, who is free and happy to share your, your, how God saved you and, and, and saved your life and changed your life and, and, and share the gospel and, and pray with somebody and lead them to Christ. It is the most wonderful thing. I wish that for every one of you. It's an amazing, wonderful moment. And I was so happy to hear that our friends, Caitlin and Cody, who consider themselves part of this church in Japan, lived a life, endeavored to live a life pleasing to the Lord. And their children's teacher saw them and said, I, I want what they have. And asked them if she could join them in going to church. And asked them for a Bible. And then sometime soon after that, she gave her heart to Jesus. How beautiful are the feet of those who announce the gospel of good tidings. Verse 16. This is the sad part, but all did not obey the gospel. 
And Paul sh- uh, shows this by, by quoting from Scripture. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our message? That's from Isaiah 53, 1. Verse 17, so faith comes from what is heard, and what is heard is through the message about Christ. But I asked, did they not hear? Yes, they did. And he proves that by quoting more scripture. Their voice has gone out into all the earth. And their words to the ends of the inhabited world. Psalms 19.4. And then he, and he says in verse 19, But I asked, did Israel not understand? Well, then he quotes Moses. I will make you jealous of those who are not a nation, make you angry by a nation that lacks understanding. Inferring. Implying? I'll get this mixed up. That people of Israel did understand. And then he quotes Isaiah. And Isaiah said, I was found, in verse 20, I was found by those who were not looking for me. I revealed myself to those who were not asking for me. Who's that? That's us. Gentiles. And finally, verse 21, but to Israel, he says, all day long I have spread out my hands to a disobedient and, def- and defying people. And that's Isaiah 65 too, if you're curious. There's God spreading out his hands to, and that's God does that now, to, to millions of people who are disobedient and defiant. He, he strives for them. But they don't believe. They don't want to believe. A.W. Tozer put it this way. He said, unbelief says some other time, but not now. Some other place, but not here. Some other people, but not us. And I have to wonder if that man who was recently executed if he got to a point early in his life where he decided some other time, but not now. But an absolute tragedy. So glad that it doesn't have to be that way. And if we want to be in a right relationship with God, God is more than willing and ready to meet us where we are. Lord, for that. Let us stand. Well, that's all for today. We certainly hope it was a blessing to you. If you'd like to reach out to us, you can email us at servantsheartchapel at gmail.com. If you'd like to learn more about our church, you can go to servantsheartchapel.org. Have a wonderful day.